quiet. Time for start show. Joggle defeat audience! Your move silent and hide checks are successful. Good evening, lords and ladies. You have chosen your evening's entertainment quite wisely. You are about to experience the most wondrous spectacle in all of Western Scotalia. I am your host proprietor, Romande Zwarfinde, and I welcome you to the Twenty Sided Theater. Dancing lights! <laughs> <laughs> The curtain rises and we rejoin our heroes. Really? Heroes? Yes. Heroes. Ugh. Give, Give me, me a, a bluff, bluff check. check. God damn it. Fine. Heroes. Allow me to introduce you to our heroes. The insufferable bastards. Dark brother Smid Caltrops. The half-bear monk and president of Bear Industries a shapeshifter of near insurmountable strength and speed. The Scottalian bread merchants think they can strong our bear industries out of business? Not if I have anything to say about it, which I will! Thrimlock Lenanian, a blindfolded elf sorcerer with a potato perched on his shoulder, and his minions, Torea Marsvel, an undead paladin, and Sir Gnome, his faithful gnome skeleton valet. Come along, Torea. You too, Sir Gnome, or I'll put you in a maze! Yes, Lord Thrimlock. Master. Imanand Shinuda. He is known throughout the Empire as the Weaponsmith, and he serves as president and spokesman of the Shinuda Necromancy Corporation, a mummified human wizard accompanied by his skeletal cat familiar, Bastet. You can count on the Shenouda Necromancy Corporation. We bring out the best in your dead. The Lady Issa Featherfoot, Pengonquin Princess. A seven-foot-tall, shape-shifting penguin assassin. Bow before the princess of the mighty Pengonquin Empire, or I'll peck you in the face. A tiny thief of questionable gender. A master magician of variable size. Thorn, the Trixie Pixie. When I catch Vincenzo, he won't know what hit him, or from what direction. The terrible, towering Maldreth the Impious. The ogre-blooded patriarch of the Church of War, dedicated to Makar, father of strife. Where are you idiots? I had plans for this afternoon, and they hinged upon your faithful acts of violence. His Majestic Terror, Vrogel, Son of Vorbel, King of Town Hall, King of Wagon, King of Docks, King of Wife, King of Bloodless Axe, and Baron of Verat Keep. No, me King of Barony. 
Get it right, dressy elf, or me dispense swift lesson with axe. My humblest apologies, your majesty. And last, but certainly not least, yours truly, the inexplainable Romandes Warfinde, bard in extraordinaire, beloved of trillions, the light of the shattering Um, <clears throat> Get on with it. An elfin bard of pan-dimensional acclaim. But you already knew that, didn't you? Lords and ladies of my beloved audience, please recline upon your gilded seats, quaff your libations, and thoroughly enjoy your evening at the Twenty-Sided Theatre. Thus far in the tale of Sorvinde's insufferable bastards, our heroes have hunted the mysterious gangster Don Vincenzo, first across the kingdom of Scotalia, and then through the plain of Hycon, an afterlife for potatoes. Our heroes are just now emerging from the great desert of Tuberosus the Blighted, where they vanquished a chaotic entity that had assumed the guise of an elder baked potato dragon. And now, let me proudly present tonight's feature presentation. The Twenty-Sided Theatre, Episode 4, Vincenzo Revealed. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Vrogel, King of Sing. Yes, friends, His Majesty Vrogel, the half-orc King of Town Hall, has entered the arcane auditory trinket industry. To pre-order your copy of His Majesty's forthcoming album, Vrogel, King of Sing, simply visit the box office as you exit the theatre. It is late afternoon, and the setting potato sun reveals the russet hills in all their rolling glory. Wait just a minute, voice. Before we go on to Inner Hycon, I would like to skin and loot the potato dragon of the Hungering End. Really? Are you sure? I mean, the skin won't be much good to you. It's thick, but nowhere near real dragon. No, but that mass of treasure clinging all over its body does appear quite valuable. Yes, I would like an explanation for that as well. Did this dragon decide that it needed some sort of treasure rub before going to the grill? Something like that. You know how potatoes have very limited imaginations? This one knew that dragons hoard treasure, but it apparently didn't know where or how to keep a hoard. So what? It just rolled over every piece of treasure it came across? until it lodged into its skin. Why not? If I had crappy potato skin like that, I'd sure as hell try to cover it in gold, jewels, and magic items. Some of the treasure you probably don't want to touch, since the infection from the hungering end began to turn it into some sort of slime. But the rest is fairly amazing. This potato dragon must have been a connoisseur, because he encrusted himself with various artistic masterworks. Paintings, figurines, Doric columns, Two or three larger-than-life sculptures, you know, stuff like that. Vroggle, I like the looks of that statue. Up there. Use your great strength to bring it down. <sighs> Come on, Thorn. Let's set up camp while they try to dislodge that ten-foot statue of Emperor Valdic the 66th from between that thing's wings. I wasn't about to cast grease on it. I mean, be right there. The camp setup goes quickly. And after a few hours, the potato dragon has been picked clean of all its valuables. The party settles into trance, sleep, or prepare spells as necessary. Maldreth, Imanand, Issa, and Torea, give me listen checks. And I'll roll for the sleeping party members. 
Did you hear that? Would you shut up? I am researching the proper components to build a flesh colossus, and I can't concentrate on my texts with all of your prattle. Ah, go blow it out, sir. Keep it down. You are making it exceedingly difficult to maintain a state of trance. You must be imagining things, spirit of the swift wind. I hear nothing. Imidon and Brother Caltrops are all awake now. I need each of you to give me a spot check. Yes! I now see them too, Spirit of the Swift Wind! You have my apologies for ever doubting you! Makar, the father of war, has truly blessed us. He sends his rotting angels to test us and prove our strength through holy battle. You'd better not make me look bad in front of my god, you imbeciles. I have reached my limit. I will not tolerate further interruptions. I shall erect my cubic force and cast a zone of silence about me. Ten decaying winged humanoids did sweep down from the skies, their eyeless sockets blacker than you you know know what they they looked like. According According to these dice, dice, you were still trancing. I had an extremely good look at one as it shook me from said trance. True. The undead angels attack each party member. Blowing especially hard at Romani. Pavro Mani throw. Down Wadovrantwa. Pavro Mani. Ow! That was quite uncalled for. They strike with putrescent, near skeletal hands. The odor of decay scorching your eyes and nose. I have no nose. Furthermore, most of my nervous system is purely for show at this point. Fine. That applies to everyone but Maldreth and Imanon. Maldreth has no nose, and the weapon's cube of force prevents even smells from entering. The angels can't sense the force cage, though, so one slams headfirst into the magic wall, lighting up the campsite like a midwinter evergreen. By the foulest names of all the gods below, who comes knocking at my cube? You will suffer the fate of... Wait... We don't have anyone who looks like that in this party. I'd remember someone with half a face and one wing. Everybody but Imanon, make a reflex. Grimlock and Malcolm. Your flesh begins to rot as the pools of putrescence slough onto you from the angel's limbs. Gad, Torea, come and behold this marvel of magical science. My hand appears to be rotting at a quite accelerated pace. Oh, oh, well, that's different. Ouch! Rotting flesh? Ha! Who cares? You should. You're undead, but you still make regular use of your limbs. You want desiccation, not putrefaction. Hmm, not the best of points, but well meant, I suppose. These servants of battle shall perish before Maldreth the Impious. By the might of the Warfather, I command you, Implode, servant of strife! The rotting angel before Maldreth collapses inward upon itself, leaving no trace of blood or bone or putrefying puddle to soil the battle priest's robes. Looks like my adventuring companions could use a little 
inspirational music. Oh, the angels are falling and your bar is calling. Now come shoo this thing from me. Romande, make a fortitude Whatsoever for? For to avoid the ill effects of fetid odors, of course. Oh. Oh my. Grimlock, fetch the herb kit. I'll get there when I get there, Catheran. But first, I need to command undead. A rotting angels hiss and growl as the spell washes over them, but all quickly shake off the effects. Hmm. Well, then we try another tack. How about a prismatic spray? Rays of blue and indigo light spread forth from Grimlock's hands, bathing his attacker in torrents of eldritch mystery. After the spell fades, you behold a horrifying statue in the likeness of a rotting angel. It's not pretty, but at least it's not so dangerous. Hey, what happened to the music? I was really grooving to that. Technical difficulties. Fear not, Master Boff. Spirit of the Swift Wind and I shall evacuate you soon. Ha 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 ha. Succumb to the blunt logic of my mace, you twisted monster! Morea's mace flares with holy light and crashes mightily upon the angel again and again until a pile of shattered bones and pulp meat is the only remaining sign that the creature ever existed. And you think that I'm the showboat? Romande, quit talking to the giant voice and do something useful. Like, what? Like this. <laughs> ah, gross. I take it back, Bard. It'll suppress your nausea and return you to fighting form. Pardon me for one moment. And that's for waking me up! And that's for unhooking my belt! I regained my composure as I inhaled the bear's pharmacon, and I beheld a symphony of violence, the greatest of praises to the father of war. The bear monk raked his claws through the angel's spine in three places, then grappled with arms of coiled adamant. He finished the combination by snapping the head clean from its neck with his mighty ursine jaws. Bard, if you will not make yourself useful, Kindly feed yourself to your attackers, Ark of Lightning, and another. Now, the big scary winged zombie won't hurt you. Would you mind throwing some of that aid over my way? This thing is way too far inside my comfort zone. I can't get proper bead for my scorching ray. Go and pulp that flying corpse, my cadaver collector. Do not bother keeping any of its parts. They are too far gone already to be of any use to me. Many thanks, Imanon. I shall acquire you a letter of mark from either the Seely or Unseely court the next time I sneak into one of those places. Stupid pixie always need paperworks for killing. Rumble no only thing you need for killing. Only need axe. A capital idea, King Vroggle. And what's better than an axe? Nothing better than- That's right! An axe empowered by scorching rays! 
I scribbled my notes as quickly as I could, trying to capture the terrible power of our spellcasters, and the might of Brother Caltrops, and the ferocity of King Vroggle's flame-enhanced axe assault. Sadly, the carnage was over as soon as it started, and I was left to falsify a few details for dramatic effect. Well, at least he's not singing. Agreed. These shenanigans have gone on for far too long already. Why can't you fools vanquish my foes more swiftly? If you're not going to do it right, you shouldn't be allowed to do battle at all. By the blood that has been shed in the name of the Warfather, grant us an end to strife. The two remaining undead angels cannot understand the ramifications of the spell. They close on Romande, reaching for his slim, elden arm with their filth-ridden claws. Then their bodies flare with white, holy light. They blaze for a full minute before the fires wink out, leaving only ash. Spell no fun. Brongle wanted be king of Death Angel. By the way, these rotting angels are very distinctly not potatoes. They are most definitely made of meat. I had wondered at that. I pray this does not portend a coming invasion. This plane would fall like wheat before the scythe. Or it might rise like potatoes before the spade. Now, you're starting to sound like Romande. <sighs> We'd better get moving before the pixie turns to full-blown puns and puts more glitter in their hair. His hair? Her hair. Hair. Glitter. No. You know... They scholars hold that the pun is the lowest form of wit, while our bakers hold the bun is the lowest form of wheat. I hate you. Pack up the tent. The party tears down and packs up the campsite with practice efficiency. Within half an hour, everybody stands ready to leave. I suppose you meat sacks need a little stitching up now. By the ever-sharp sword of war, be healed. Excellent. Everybody's wounds seal up, and any effects from the magical rot aura are cured. Now, give me spot checks. Look, comrades. One of those abominable angels was intelligent enough to flee our might. I've got him in my sights. Let's see if the rotten thing is resistant to prismatic rays! No, you idiots. The end to strife is still in effect. You'll all die. Of course, being too busy with quill and parchment, I was unscathed. As we marched, Maldreth withdrew Thrimlock from Death's Gates, and we allocated our one remaining flying carpet to facilitating this ritual. Meanwhile, Torea and I spread the light of healing over the other insufferable bastards. The cobblestones passed beneath Bart! our feet. Get over here and heal! Stop fiddling with that stack of papers! Thank you, Issa. You continue across the hinterlands of Hycon unimpeded for six hours. The earth-brown hills of the Russet Range roll merrily across the fertile land beyond the Great Blight. Off in the distance, you espy a familiar potato sitting beside a road. Sir Isaac Newtot inclines his bewigged head toward the road deep in thought, but not so deep as to negate basic manners when you catch up to him. Ah, so very good to see you again, travelers. Ugh, I tire of this plane and all its saccharine cheer. What ho, Sir Isaac? Wait, sorry, I must be having a flashback from that potion of scrying I brewed up. Ugh, can anybody else taste fried potatoes? 
It's probably that moldering thing on your shoulder. <laughs> nope, wait, it's gone again. Anyway, this one's still alive, or undead, or post-living. Definitely not fried in any case. Anyway, good to see you, Felsaran Newtot. Any idea where this road goes? Why, it goes directly to Caravan, the heart of the first ever Potato Kingdom. Quite an accomplishment for our people, would you not agree? Quite an accomplishment, I'd say. What brings you to this side of the desert, then? And did you bring any of your scientific instruments with you? I have a very good bag for holding such items. Give me a bluff check, Thorn. Why, thank you, kind Pixie. This astrolabe was growing rather cumbersome. As for my business on this side of the desert, once a year the Potato Mads stop in Tots Isley to take the Select across Tuberosus. The Nomad selected myself, a jar of urine that had once been vodka, and the grandest potato house in all of Tots Isley. Rubble no care. Me king of this place soon. Just want no one thing. How do you get here before us? Ah, yes. You see, I believe that time is corrigible here in Hycon. Being a heavenly plane, this plane exists in eternity, which is a zone outside of stream and time. Within that plane, though, our minds still need the reference points of cause and effect, and thus a sort of personal time flow is created. Simple science, yes? Not as simple as Axe. Froggle defeat science, Tato! Me become king of science! Fantastic! I hope you both die! Froggle! No, 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 Froggle! No, don't hit don't, that dirty little potato! No, that would be very bad! Yes. Don't kill him, Froggle! He's very useful! Vincenzo. That's fascinating! Yes, that's it, everybody! Listen to the sound of my voice and calm the fuck down! Now, your majesty, would you not say that a king must have a properly large retinue? Me not know. Ask wife. She in charge of domestic sphere. But me think she like me have lots people round. Me become better orc whenever friend visit. Drink twice as much when cousin Balrek in town. Uh, exactly my point. Now, wouldn't it be beneficial to your majesty to have someone not only famous, someone not only smart, but someone famous for being smart among your courtiers? Me suppose so. Old King always have funny hat work stand beside him back home. Make him look smart. Master Sorfinde, please, have mercy. Silence you. I think his majesty has taken a liking to you. Charm person. At the end of this conversation, you will join hands with the Reverend Maldreth over there. He will transport you to a place called Scartalia. Once there, you will seek out Theo the Wonder. Okay, Theran, that was the first potato we met on the road. This potato's going back to Verat Keep. Ah, right. Thank you, Thrimlock. You will seek out the dread Ephemather, Queen of Vrogel, at a place called Verat Keep. Now, when I snap my fingers, you will bark like a chicken. Quit f***ing around and have him answer our questions, Bart. This has taken too long already. Indeed. You there, Potato. What were you doing before we arrived? I was pondering philosophies. 
Ah, a philosophical spud. I'm a philosopher of a sort too, you know. What were you thinking on then? I found myself considering the road tato we travel, wishing to deduce whether the whole road is a single potato soul who dreamed of being a road, or alternatively, the road may be many countless potatoes who each wish to be cobbletots or even the countless atoma that comprise them. Or perhaps there's some mixture of the two, or a third option I haven't yet considered. If each of these tots in the road is a potato soul, does that mean I can kill the road? Well, I suppose so. Everything on this plane is a soul. This begets the question of the soul's immortality. That makes me feel great, but we're not going to get into that topic anytime soon. Anybody else want to ask this thing a question? I hate to ask, but... What happened to the, um, other travelers who came across with you? We're not going to be haunted by the ghosts of Vodka's past, are we? Well, the house has become a stately manor in the countryside. The urine went on with the nomads to further unknown destinations. None of that matters. Have you seen Vincenzo, philosopher? Oh yes. The stranger passed by this spot yesterday. Oh, the one with the stupid hat? Oh, the very same. Her form was lithe and graceful, and the plume on her hat was quite fetching. Quite a lush green sprig she was. Which way? There's really only one way Vincenzo could have gone. The road ends about 12 feet behind you. Shut up, voice. I didn't ask you. I asked Newton here. Vincenzo passed me, heading toward Cadavan. Excellent. Now that we have direction, I shall call upon the Father of Slaughter to bestow a fortunate fate upon us. And I shall quicken a prayer to bring Wales of the Banshee to this roadside. Thrimlock, Thorn, and Ramande all keel over, stone dead. But only for a second. Their bodies immediately flare with pulsating red and white light, and they rise again, fully healed. Sir Isaac Newtot is completely unaffected by the Whale of the Banshee spell. Ah, oh, come on! Why not? You're in the potato afterlife, and that spell only affects living beings. He was already dead. And what about the road? Is it dead? Or after living, or whatever? Also unaffected by your spell. Great. Damn it. Couldn't kill the road. Can't kill you. Fine. I'll send him back to Scartalia. Wait. I have one last question before Felser and Newton departs. If a gnome falls in the forest, and nobody's around to see it, does he make a sound? Hmm? I don't really know what But first, sir. you have to figure out what a gnome is. I send you upon this quest. Whatever. I'm a car shop spear, transport this potato to our home plane. I hope you get eaten. But we never asked him how far it is to Catavan. It doesn't matter. Let's go the only way the road leads. We'll get there when we get there. By mid-afternoon, the party arrives at the other end of the road. Behold! Spires and spuds soar into the cerulean expanse above. The city of Cadavan bustles with the daily business of the cleverest of potatoes. I thought I told you to knock that off. While Ramande makes a reflex save for the next 70 steps he takes. Do the rest of you have any business now that you've come to a real town? Yes. We need to find a place to stay and we need to sell all of this loot. I wouldn't mind taking in some of the local flavor. I love how this place smells. It's like there's a chip shop under every street. 
Indeed, Pixie. And that potion keeps coming back. I can't seem to get the taste of stale chips from my mouth. Fine then. The three of us will handle the liquidation while the rest of you gather provisions. You sure you're up to this, Thrym? Worry not, Caldrops Dertharan. I have a knack for haggling. Do you? Then let's gather some information. After ten minutes of asking around and another twenty of walking, you stand in the storefront of Tusa the Wonderment, an elven earthbred mage. Let's just get someone out to the counter here. Service! I am a paying customer and I demand service! So, what's the angle here, Thrym? I had some dodgy times in my youth, but I never tried anything in an adventuring shop. I can cast glibness if you need a hand. Otherwise, I'll just be inspecting these locks. Uh, cabinets, inspecting these cabinets. Quite a simple plan. Just oh, hold on, here she comes. Yes, travelers, Tusa is present. How may I be of service to you this day? I need some help with a quest. I need you to buy all of these valuable pieces of art and magical items. And I need you to pay me the full market price, not any of that half-value bullshit. I will open the coffers. Let me see what you have. Thank you, Potato. And look at that! Your quest is complete! You've earned yourself 20 experience to sweeten the pot! I hope you don't mind taking these shiny coins instead of our usual currency. These are all we have after that outlander came through the shop. Oh, those will be fine. Just make sure you focus on the money and ignore the pixie at the weapons cabinet. Wait, what outlander? The one in the floppy hat, of course. The whole town's been a buzz about her. Caused quite a stir in the market after buying all those alchemical components. I'm just one step behind you, Vincenzo. Terea, fetch a larger money sack! While they sort that business out, what do the rest of you want to do? I wish to survey this place. As a grand magus of the illustrious and holy empire of Veladros, it is my solemn duty to inspect the physical, spiritual, and arcane defenses of every newly contacted people. I head towards the town center, taking note of every church, school, and guard outpost along the way. The six of you, Imanon, Maldreth, Romande, Issa, Vragel, and the Collector, make an impressive parade as you stride through the starchy streets of Cadabin. As you approach the central square, a voice calls out to you from a dark alleyway. Psst. Hey! You, uh, you wanna buy some bread? No. I would not. Father Maldreth, please ensure our friends undivided attention. Hold him yourself. I'm going to the back of this alley to see what's in that giant potato building. Oh, I would be glad to oblige, Weaponer. None can resist the charms of my honeyed tongue. Now, Potato, tell us what you think you're doing talking like that, or I'll have King Vrogel there split you lengthwise with the dull part of his axe. Me hate this place. No can stand weak potato people. Weak people have weak king. Need better king. Whoa, I'm just trying to move some potato loaf, folks. Just trying to make a living. Or an after living, as it were. Look, friend. We don't have to let this happen. 
We're all civilized species here. You just tell me where you learned to sell bread like that, and I'll keep his majesty otherwise occupied. Look, I'm copying this funny-looking guy I saw at the market yesterday. He was a sight with that hat and sword. This stranger, tell me more about him. What did he look like, sound like, smell like? Tell me everything, and you may have the chance to emerge from this in one piece. Yeah, one big flat piece. King-size potato pancake piece. Yipe! You're not helping. Hey, eyes this way, Spud. Yes, that's right. Focused on me and not on that great green tower of murder. Now, what do you know about the stranger? I'm back. You wouldn't believe the luck. There was this abandoned church at the other end of the alley. Well, it's abandoned now, at least. Ah, and you're such good parishioners. You even secured the inaugural sacrifice for the first temple of the war, Spud. Oh, dear. Let's skim over this part, shall we? But I've prepared a truly masterful ballad to commemorate the occasion. That's twice the reason to move on. By the time you enter the town square, Trimlock, Smid, Thorn, and Terea have returned from their shopping trip. As you step into the open space, you notice some potato gutter snipes playing football. Maldreth and Imanond give me knowledge checks. Hey look, those potatoes are using a halfling breed tuber as a ball. Wait, that's no ball, that's a bully nip. What's a bully nip? It's a sort of root vegetable that gives off a scent that drives people mad. It acts on bullies as catnip does on felines. Is that a pun? If that's a pun, I hate you. Somebody go help that thing, it's starting to make whiny, whimpering noises. I'll just have Sir Damn and Blast Sonoma's away on a quest! Now who will I get to headbutt that bully ball into the next yard? While you discuss the matter, the gutter spuds have finished their game, and the bully nipitator has rolled away. Crime. I'll approach the gutter snipes, as I select a spell from my toes. Oi, don't you look funny? Just like that bloke what the city eyes took from the square yesterday. The city eyes? Yeah, the eyes, the pig tattoos, the copper skins, the totes and cloaks. You know, go the city wash. What, you daft? Everywhere's got eyes. The gutter spud takes note of the fluttering purple lights dancing atop Thrimlock's hands. Whoa, whoa, no need for none of that, go. We're all good little spuds around here. It's not nice to pick on defenseless little potatoes, you know. No matter how small and kickable they might be, you never know when some evil wizard will walk by and cast a spell to teach a young gutterspot a lesson in compassion. We was just having a little fun. Well, we're sorry, I guess. You guess? Tell us where the stranger went, or I'll let one of my parishioners here cook up a decent penance for you. I can sing a ballad if you have the time. No! no! Well, he was a slim fella. Kind of husky voice, and that funny accent with all the R's and vowels. Potatoes don't just got eyes, you know. Wore gloves, but I caught a glimpse of some tattooed tattoos on appeal. Big floppy hat with a white sprout. Kept trying to sell bread till some of the city eyes came along. And he pulled out their sword and Julie and them spuds, you know what I mean? Big puff of smoke, didn't see nothing more. A literal puff of smoke? 
Oh yeah, blue smoke and all. I would like to take this opportunity, Lady Featherfoot, to point out that I have been with you during the entire expanse of time within which these events happened. We don't care anymore, Bard. You're not Vincenzo, we got the message. Little Sproutling, answer my query and escape unharmed. What charges did the guardsman present to Vincenzo? Why was she to be arrested? I don't know, probably salesmanship without a license or something. You can ask him yourself. The Marshal King makes sure all his officers are slimming in paperwork for some reason. I don't care why though. There's some dull records and I get to go about me business without the eyes on my pill. The eyes put out word that they've caught him, but I don't know if that's some sort of propaganda malarkey or half on ace troop. And where would they take their prisoners? To the city lockup, of course. They'd throw her down in that pit with all the rest of the criminals. To the dungeon! I love dungeons. You, Gutter Snipes, lead us to the city dungeon, and I'll reward you with a ruby the size of your thumb. Oi, we ain't dumb, we ain't dumb. You gotta show us the payment first. And a feast fit for a king. If you'd come this way, the first temple of the Warspud will treat each of you to the finest food that divine channeling can conjure. After the feast, it, it really is a feast, isn't it? Of course it's a feast. How else am I to attract parishioners? I can't just put half the population to the sword, you know. I only have one sword. Thank the gods for that. As you finally step more than ten feet into the town square, you are greeted with the sight of the great keep of Proutha the Masher, a towering accomplishment of potato architecture. Atop the outer wall, seven-foot spikes adorn the crenellations. Atop each spike is thrust a massive fried chip, some still sizzling from the heat of the oil. It would seem that Proutha's greatness comes at a steep price. As you stare at the grisly spectacle, Lorimar, Thrimlock's stitched raven familiar, soars down from the battlements to alight on its master's shoulder. Hey boss, Quack. I lost track of the monkey when we took on that potato dragon. You'd cough! We'd be proud of what we did to that baked bastard. Quack. Lorimar, it's you! Now I understand all of that interference I've been getting. What have you been eating? But never mind that nonsense. What happened to my dear pet monkey? Quack. Well, like I said, we took out that potato dragon. Man oh man, it had so many shinies. Anyway, some potato threw a net over us and sold us to the king. I was able to slip through the bars of our cage. Must have been one terrible cage. Not really. Quack. Had to do it in sections. The monkey was a better surgeon than you'd suspect, though. He stitched me back together, then I flew out the window. Got a kind of sidetracked by those fries on the spikes, though. Then Proutha still has my monkey. I always knew he had delicate fingers, but you're right. I'd never have thought him able to do such fine needlework. Oh look! He's even stitched in his initials! Me no care about stupid twice-dead Betty Bird. What find Vincenzo and go home? Wife pregnant. It bad luck to let wife name first child alone. Child grow up, be stronger than father. Rogel has a point. Let's get going to the dungeons first. We'll conclude your monkey business later. As you head toward the first municipal dungeon, you pass two city guards standing resplendently in their plump, round, armored uniforms. Come on, Clancy. It's time to work. Ah, it's a lovely day, isn't it, Outlanders? Oi, you over there. 
I see you, Sigurd von Kartoff. Keep moving, keep moving. We don't all have the luxury to stand around and gab all day, you know. Dreadful sorry you had to witness business such as that, Outlanders. Now, how can I serve and protect you this fine day? We're looking for an Outlander man wearing a hat. Or, or maybe it's a woman now. That's business for the eyes only. Now please move along, move along. I've got eyes. They don't look like anyone else's, but they do most of the same things. Grim, why don't you just pull the old shop swap gun again? I don't think that's quite the appropriate response in this situation. This calls for something more subtle. Indeed it does. With but a strum of my lute, and a judicious application of a spell to charm even the most savage of monsters, you have fallen under my power. Now, Officer... Pat, Master. Officer Pat Tato. Paddy to me, friends. Now, Officer Paddy, tell us all we wish to know. Why did you arrest Don Vincenzo? We picked up your man for illegal breadmongering and selling questionable foodstuffs. No potato ever looked like that bread. Cadavanian bread isn't branded, for one. Be tired of this. Where you take Vincenzo? Me introduce Vincenzo to Bloodless. Introduce many time if me need. We... we took her to the king, so he could dispense swift justice. The sentence was a year's imprisonment in the dungeons. Sounded pretty fair, if you ask me. Well, hey, if you have Vincenzo in the dungeon, can we go in and talk to her? Sure you can. You just got to pay the admission fee. Clancy, collect two coins from each of these patrons and show them in the waiting room. Lieutenant Cadalin should be at the desk. Just hand him these tickets and he'll give you the tour. Now then, move along, move along. Nothing to see here now. One thing before I go into the dungeon. Yeah? What would you like? I shall cast a spell of blighting upon this whole square. You do realize that this will have massive repercussions in the real world. You can't just go around blighting the souls of dead and yet-to-be-reborn potatoes. Have you met me? Of course I can! But, but, famines? For hundreds of years? Yep. You're welcome. This is a great deed performed in the names of the twin gods of weapons and massacre. Didn't the note in Scatalia say that Vincenzo had come here to treat with a potato king? And what of it? I, for one, would prefer to gather all possible information before undertaking an extermination. I propose we visit Pratha before entering the dungeons. Isa has a point. No use getting ourselves locked up in some dungeon. This has trap written all over it. Agree. Hey, Clancy, give us our money back. We've decided not to take the tour. We're going to visit the palace instead. Because you are outlanders, the staff of King Prowtha's Many Splendored Palace immediately transmits your request for an audience. Really? Wow, that's trusting. About as trusting as you were when the Empire showed up on your shores. According to the servants, Prowtha is a forward-looking monarch with a habit of inviting outlanders to speak with him. As my insufferable bastards approached the great bronze doors of the throne room, a commanding voice did boom forth. 
cutting off the wonders of this stone and bronze gateway in a plain made entirely of potatoes. All who stand before the mighty potato monarch must beg for his clemency. Now enter and prostrate yourselves before the throne of the inestimable King Prowtha. Prostrate? <laughs> Me? No. He's got it the wrong way around. I'm not the one who'll be begging for clemency. You will prostrate, for the Potato King is a mighty and jealous king. And what is he so jealous of? Oh! Well, Spirit of the Swift Wind and I certainly won't be prostrating ourselves. Hold on, just think for a minute. Terea, get back on your high horse. Chances are, even though this one's clever enough to be a king, he's just like all the other potatoes we've met. Cannibal? Uh, yummy? Stupid. They get the general idea, but they can't really define anything clearly. I say we go in there standing straight up, and we'll just tell him that we're prostrated. Quite cunning, Father Maldreth. With potatoes, uh, evolutionary diversions from our own physiology, he may not be able to tell the difference. Now, let me settle myself atop this floating disc. Straighten my robes and untangle my wrappings. There. Now I am fit for an audience with the king. Rather fetching, if I might say so. By the by, I do know a lovely tailor back home who would simply die to design a suit of clothes for you. She's been looking for inspiration for some time now. When we get back, remind me to introduce you to Tilaria. Great. Now you've got the bard started. Let's just get in there and get this over with before he starts designing tuxedos for me. Thank you, Anissa. You're welcome, Mr. Giant Disembodied Voice. The bronze doors swing open, revealing a grand hall packed with potato guards. Atop a mighty golden-yellow throne sits the Masher of Hycon, King Prouthus Budminster von Yukon III. He is an average-sized potato sitting in the middle of a platinum crown. Does the crown look valuable? I've got ranks in appraise. Oh, very valuable. And that's just the start of it. A bejeweled scepter leans across the throne's armrests. As you look around the room, you realize that nothing in here is made of potato. The marble is actually marble. The emeralds and sapphires of the scepter reflect light in the usual fashion, and even the flagstones appear to be imported granite. When you finally stop before the throne, the matter of prostration is never addressed. Chancellor Flibble, read these criminals there do! What? An anti-magic zone flares into life, dropping Imanon to the floor. Ouch! Motherfucker! My cream maid's definitely not aging face. I can't shrink down. Oh, Makar of the blood-soaked boots. What have my idiot companions done to deserve your displeasure? As hundreds of potato guards take defensive positions around you, a penguin in a red and white checked gingham toga timidly emerges from behind the throne, unrolling a scroll. You! I recognize you, Flibble Kelpbeak! You traitor! You're the one who enslaved the Waterlander tribe and sold them to the seals six seasons past. Chancellor Flibble is one of my favorite kingly possessions. I sent my agents far and wide to find one such as him. I had no choice, Princess Featherfoot. You would not understand. And sadly, I have no choice now. 
As foreigners without the written existential permission of the king, you have been all found guilty of vile and impotatoid transgressions against the kingdom of Cadavan and the goddess Harvade. Guards, I must request that you take these individuals into custody and send them to the chipper. I am truly sorry, princess. I'll never forgive you, Flibble Traitor's Beak! The attendant potato guards cascaded through our party, herding us toward a secret pit and slide system. We wrestled with the massive guards as best as we could, but even Brother Caltrops could not fend off twelve attackers at once. Although, I am proud to tell you that Thrimlock Catherine, whose form had proven frail time and again, did stand bravely against his attackers using only his walking staff. But sadly, no amount of elvish determination could save him from joining us in the pit. After a four-minute slide through twisting, turning pipes, the system dumped my insufferable bastards into the only cell of the city dungeon. One by one we awoke, and our eyes adjusted to the gloom of our cell. We all sat atop a hill of potatoes of various sizes and shapes, while the walls still soared fifty feet above us. And all our gear is gone. Climbing these walls will be tough work. Where we be? Right, why Vrogel wings no work? Why Vrogel so hungry? Uh, well, you're sitting in Catavan's only cell in its only dungeon. Your wings don't work because the magic that fuels the graft is being suppressed by these pillars up here. And you're hungry because I hadn't tossed today's meal down yet. A strawberry blonde male human of about 20 years stood atop the 50-foot pit. We, on the other hand, lay strewn about the bottom of the pit atop the bodies of Caravan's criminals. The human at the top was wearing a uniform reminiscent of that worn by the city guard, and he carried an unwieldy box. You're in luck, though. You get to eat this half-eaten, confiscated bread. It's even real bread, not potatoes. I think you'll like it. It came all the way from Scotalia. The human upended the box, showering us with authentic, trademarked loaves from the League of Scotalian Bread Merchants. Who are you? And why do you wear that uniform? Oh, sorry. I'm Cadet Lieutenant Keith Allen, here on, uh, Foreign Exchange, I think my commander called it. And I'm doing my duty as a lieutenant in King Prowth's city guard. Pretty neat, don't you think? Not really. I can think of a few better purposes for you. Answering questions, for one. Sure thing. I need to study for my exams anyway. This will be like a practice quiz. Why are we in this pit with all the scum of this city? Don't they have separate cells for important prisoners such as us? Well, there's just the one cell. These guys aren't very smart. There's only this one cell, so they throw all the criminals into the pit you're enjoying currently. There's this wide space grate at the bottom. You can't see it because of all the bodies, but trust me, it's there. Anyway, every 20 days, this ginormous rock up here crashes down and chips all the criminals. Whatever falls through the grate is boiled in oil and put up on spikes along the city ramparts. Once it's up there, it's all up to the potatoes. What? We can't let that happen. We'd make terrible chips. We always think Great Grandmore can make best pixie chip. We have to talk to the king then. 
Be Dallin, you have to take us to him immediately. No can do, buddy bear. The king's busy right now. Captain Pat says he's in negotiations with the great horrible one. He's hoping to get a good price for the outlaw. What sort of hair-brained egomaniac would call himself the great horrible one? Who is this person? And where do I get myself a title like his? Uh, I don't really know who this great horrible one is. All I've been told is that he's not from around here. No, no, wait, back up. You said something about the outlaw. You mean Vincenzo? He's here! She's here. Well, there. In the pit. With you. Beneath a particularly flat potato, we found an unmoving humanoid form. And nearby, Thorn was trying on a very large hat with an upturned brim. Smid grabbed Vincenzo's shoulders and tore the bandana from her face, revealing a gentle, elven countenance. <gasps> Teloria Moonsong! Who in the name of the ever-nurturing spirit of nature is Tularia Moonsong? Oh, my stars! Tularia Moonsong was the high singer of a tribe of elves off in the swamplands in the Vensgo in central Scotalia. This was back before Roman Day's band of heroes had met you, Thorn. Her land was plagued by an army of horrid goblin folk and their tremendous dragons. Reva Zalix, the largest of the dragons, had killed her brother, and she composed a song to honor her heroes when they slew the beast and avenged Mathrin Softstep. It was the first time any other being's song had ever moved my heart. Oh, don't hurt her, Smid. She's been through enough as it is. How would you know what she's been through? Because it was all at my behest. Behold, the true face of Don Vincenzo, the one, the only, the ineffable Romande Swarfinde, barred in extraordinaire. What? You? Now we're all going to die in this anti-magic field, you insufferable bastard. Why, Romande, why? What a dick. You spoony bard! This is all your fault! <laughs> Battle-brained elf, tell me why I should not allow Brother Caltrops to eviscerate you this instant. The Potato King has my monkey! You heard the Franken-Raven? And this made a far better story than just asking for your help! I'm sorry. Please, let me down. Hey, quit killing each other down there. Words come down from the top. You've got your next audience with the King, and this one's gonna be a doozy. The gods descended in a potato skin bucket and tied us down from elbow to ankle, allowing only the tiniest of steps. They then frog-marched us across the city square, and once more through the bronze doors of the palace. We soon stood once again before the despotic Prowther the Masher. The penguin traitor stood at his master's side, unrolling a long parchment. For your crimes against potanity, you are to be severely punished. However, His Majesty has elected to spare you the chipper that an alliance to be forged between this realm and that of the Great Horrible One 
to cement this bargain, all foreigners are to be remanded to the Bloody Sands. Have you any final words? I have but one question to demand of the Masher. Where's Nelio? Wait, who's Nelio? It's his pet monkey. Nelio and my raven were accidentally hit by a prismatic eye a few weeks ago. And I want him back. Especially now that Thrym's got his pet. Ah, uh, yes. The Wormling's Bane monkey amused me for a time. It too has been sacrificed to the bloody sands of the Great Horrible One. And now, you shall share its fate. And with those words still hanging in the air, the palace dissolved around us, and all went black. Visit the 20-Sided Theater online at 20sidedtheater.com. The 20-Sided Theater is a joint production of Bear Industries and the Shenudan Necromancy Corporation. Episode 4 stars Gabriel Abenante, Blake Parker, Carrie Quatron, Kean Quatron, and Rory Quatron. Written by Rory Quatron and edited by Blake Parker. For a full list of sound effects artists, visit the show notes for this episode at 20sidedtheater.com. Music by Ain't Bitchintendo. Beak. Dual Tracks. Mr. Aster B. MWP 8861. Please Lose Battle. Roboctopus. Sean Daly. The Fender. VCMG and Video Game Orchestra. For links to all of these artists, visit the show notes for this episode at 20sidedtheater.com. Join us next time at the 20 Sided Theater. This episode of the 20 Sided Theater is brought to you in part by Bear Industries. Do you feel just a little sad sometimes? Anxious? You have trouble getting to sleep? What about anger issues? Do you think all those clerics are holding some better curative and health management spells for the noble class citizens? <clears throat> all of these are problems that neither bears nor monks have in their day-to-day lives. But who has the time to join a monastery or the resilience to join a clan of bears. Hi, I'm Brother Smith Caltrops, the Half-Bear Monk. We here at Bear Industries wish to bring the peace of mind afforded by living as a bear and or monk to you, the average human or demi-human commoner class imperial citizen, but at thrice the speed and septuple the cost. Bear Industries provides a number of plant-based dietary supplements and medicine-like alternatives to divine healing. For a list of our full range of poultices, teas, infusals, inhalants, and suppositories, just scry our showcase offices at Oakvale, Scotalia. Bear Industries. Nobody's as carefree as a bear. Romande?
Are you there? Yes, Lady Issa. I'm here. I'm scared, Bard. Sing a song of courage for me. I command it. Oh, what's there to be scared of, Lady Featherfoot? We've been in worse jams. That giant disembodied voice? It's gone.